This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. I'm talking to two women who share a passion for helping children, Lisa O'Sullivan and Ketta Duran. In their work for Big Brothers Big Sisters of the Capital Region, they see how mentors paired with children can transform lives. During the pandemic, the program went fully remote to keep mentors and families safe. One little did not have access to a computer or phone, so her big gave her writing paper, stamps, and envelopes. The little had never before put a stamp to an envelope. Right now, 74 children are waiting for a big brother or a big sister. We're going to find out all about them and all about their program. So welcome, and I think we'll start with you, Lisa. Could you just tell us a little bit about yourself? What what got you involved with this program in the first place? Sure. So my career was not originally in working for non-for-profits, so um, I landed working for non-for-profits a while back, and it really just kind of ignited my passion, Um, and I've always had a passion for children, so when uh, my career landed me with Big Brothers Big Sisters, it really felt like a perfect fit um, to work with children and youth. Um, and it just uh, really kind of went from there. So <clears throat> you have a passion for children. Where did that come from? Did you grow up in a big family? Do you have kids of your own? How, how did you develop that passion? Sure. So I do have a big family. Um, as for like, um, you know, I, I, I'm the youngest of four, but I have a lot of cousins and a lot of aunts and uncles. Um, you know, I, I do have a large family and we were very close growing up. But I also do have, you know, two children of my own that are grown adults and um, actually going to be a grandmother real very soon. So that is, um, you know, I just have always, always loved children, um, always wanted to be a mom. That was the biggest thing I wanted to be when I was younger. So I just always have loved children and and feel they um, deserve to have their reach their full potential, all of them. Wonderful. And Keta, tell us a little about yourself. How did you get involved in the Big Brothers Big Sisters? Sure. So this was my first professional job after college. So I worked for some nonprofits while I was in college, and I felt very strongly about their mission and how they help serve the community. So that was um, a goal of mine to, to be able to work for a nonprofit, and I just um, found the mission of Big Brothers Big Sisters and what they do for youth um, to just be very, you know, worthwhile and something that I wanted to be a part of. So, where did you go to college, and what did you study? So, I studied. Um, my concentration was like social services. Um, I actually bounced a couple of places and ended up finishing online. Yeah, that's a a very good way to do it, especially (laughs) these days in the midst of the pandemic. So you've both mentioned with passion the mission of the Big Brothers Big Sisters program. And I 
just read around a little bit and found out it was founded in 1904, and it's the first mentoring program for at youth risk. But if you could just fill us in on what what that means, why? what is the mission, and why do both of you feel so strongly about it? I think the, the mission is just that we believe that every child has um, the potential to reach their, their full, um, you know, they have their ability to reach their full potential, and providing them with one-to-one mentorship allows them to um, ignite their potential. Um, We believe in defending um, their potential and igniting that. Um, Our our mission is, you know, the the one-to-one mentorship and having that ability to um, work in a community. And, you know, I believe it takes a, it takes a village to, you know, with, with children and being a part of that and really um, being a part of, you know, helping those children to reach their full potential and to, um, you know, maybe they're at a crossroads and having that mentor can make a, a big difference in their life and change their path. So, yeah, that sounds like a very uh, important mission. Just could you tell us in a day-to-day sense what your jobs consist of, Keta? For instance, you wake up in the morning and what do you do in terms of your work? How, how does it play out? What is, I don't even know, what is your job title? So my job title is program manager. My job has recently um, shifted in the last couple of weeks where I am going to take more of a focus on recruitment and, you know, trying to work with local businesses to, you know, reach, talk to their employees and reach out and see, you know, how we can recruit um, some more specialists, in particular big brothers. Um, and I also help out with day-to-day aspects of our, you know, community base, which is our main um, program. Just you know, helping support those matches, helping support the employees, um, just helping everyone thrive. So, with recruitment, is this you're recruiting mentors? Is that what you're looking for? Is more big brothers and big sisters? Yes, correct. So, so um, just kind of tell us who can be a big brother or a big sister. Like, what <laughs> what kind of person do you need to be in order to fill this role? Absolutely. So um, just the very basics would be um, volunteers have to be 18 years and over. They have to reside in one of the four counties we live in. All, we, we serve Albany, Saratoga, Schenectady, and Rensselaer. We do require a minimum of a year commitment, though certainly we have matches that last for years. Um, and we do require volunteers to have their own car and license. Uh, but other than that, you know, there's not necessarily a set criteria. They have all different degrees or, you know, no degree, all different jobs. There's, you know, different life experiences. There's no set requirement to be a volunteer. You just need to have the the passion and that drive and want to help a child. So what does a volunteer typically do 
let's say I decided, yes, this is for me. I want to do this. Is there any kind of training? And what are the expectations that your organization has? And do you kind of help people into the role? Or how, how does it work? Sure. So potential volunteers, um, we are serving a vulnerable population. So we certainly have um, our enrollment is very rigorous. There is a um, rigorous um, screening, there's background check references, all those types of things. But a potential volunteer, a volunteer would have, um, they would have to attend uh, orientation. There is training involved with that. Um, if, if their application is approved, um, they would go through certain training. Uh, what is expected of them is that um, they would have specific outings. They would have two outings per month. They would have um, a weekly phone call with the child. That doesn't have to be any long conversation. Um, just really getting to know the child. Um, also fostering the relationship with the parent or guardian. And we also have something very unique called match support. Each and every one of our matches is assigned one of our, one of our employees, which is in touch with all parties of the match on a regular basis. So that match support coordinator would be contacting the big, the little, and the parent on a regular basis for um, you know checking in to make sure that the match is growing in a healthy manner, making sure um, that everyone is getting what they need out of the match and just kind of to help that the match navigate um, and make sure that everything's working well. So that leads me to wonder about your staff. Um, tell us a little about where you're sitting right now, <laughs> where your organization is headquartered and like, you don't have to name every individual on the staff, but sort of what the different roles are, the people behind the scenes that make this all-important mentor relationship work. Sure. So we definitely, there are many um, very, very important staff members behind the scenes that um, it, it takes a lot um, it takes a lot for a successful match. And there's a lot of our very um, important staff members that we um, appreciate very much and, and the work that they do. We, um, you know, as with many, you know, many other organizations and agencies, we were fully remote. Our, our staff, um, when COVID hit, we packed up our offices and put everything in storage and we fully all of our, um, we, we wanted to keep our, our families safe and our matches safe. So we fully had them, um, we were not allowing any in-person outings. So they were um, connecting virtually and they were, they really stepped it up. Our bigs were amazing. They came up with um, such creative ways to connect virtually. We actually saw some of those matches connect in, and their um, relationships grow in such a manner that um, they wouldn't have otherwise had the opportunity to. So it was really, um, it was really quite, it was an actual positive outcome that we had from COVID. That's amazing. I'm going to interrupt you right there because yes. I'm fascinated by that. When you started, I thought you were going to say, oh, you know, we had to suspend our operations. And instead, you said it became more enriching virtually. Can you just give us one example about something that 
that happened between a big and a little virtually? Sure. That was- so we serve many different, um, many different children from all different socioeconomic backgrounds. But I can think of one instance where there was a child who um, had, came from a home that they did not have a laptop. They didn't even have a phone that was capable of doing FaceTime. So the big um, decided they were going to um, send letters back and forth to each other. And um, so the big provided um, stamps and envelopes and things like that. And, And so and the child had never even, you know, never knew how to write a letter or put a stamp on an envelope. So that was just a, you know, a suggested thing that, um, the big had suggested as a way to, you know, stay connected. I love that because it's such a lost way of communication, letter (laughs) writing. I mean, there, there are people like Mark Twain who fell in love through letter writing. So few people even do it anymore. I love that story. We had, you know, all the way on the other side of it where we had some of our, our, um, Bigs who were very, very um, tech savvy and, you know, they were connecting with their littles and, you know, interacting and playing games, you know, simultaneously and, you know, doing all this really cool stuff. So um, we were able to keep those matches going even in a virtual sense. But, um, you know, we, we recently have um, opened our offices back up where we're in a new um Co- cohabited, cohabitated space. It's um, the Blake Annex in downtown Albany. Um, and it's uh, facilitated by the United Way. So we are in that space. Um, it's it's uh, quite, quite a nice location in a building in downtown Albany. It looks like a nice space. I can see in the background. <laughs> it is. It's wonderful. It has, yeah. um, you know, we have our, our office space but there's a lot of shared common areas and it really is a wonderful space so if we could just talk a little about how you match the big with a little and I love the way you just call them a big and a little I think that's <laughs> um, you know is there some kind of a process you go through does do you try to match for race or obviously you match for gender because the the girls are with a sister and the boys are with a brother but um, does how, how does that matching process work yeah. um, so we have very extensive enrollment process so when we enroll the big and when we enroll the little, we, you know, it's very in-depth and we talk about, you know, history, their history, their, you know, interests, you know, what they like to do, what are their hobbies. And we also go through extensive preferences um, for both sides. So certainly if a family, you know, does have a race or ethnicity that they prefer or an age group or, you know, all just different um possibilities because we want to really make a quality match. It's never, you know, first come, first serve. So we do have a wait list of children, but it's not, you know, you're not going to the bottom of the list when you're enrolled. It's when we have the appropriate mentor for you that we would match you. Um, we do, you know, try to make quality matches. Little sisters are matched with big sisters. Little brothers can be matched with big sisters up to the age of 10 um, if all parties are okay with it. And then once they're matched, they can stay together. So um, how many children are on this waiting list? 
Currently, we have about 75 children on our wait list. Oh, my goodness. 75. Oh, wow. And that's actually um, that's actually a low number for us. We it, it typically is over 100. So, so this we, program really has traction in the community that the kids are signing up. You don't have trouble getting kids to sign up for we this. Do not they, have trouble getting, we do not have trouble getting children. Yeah. yeah. So that really, I just hope people are listening because to Absolutely. have 75 kids just waiting for a match, that's, wow. Yes. Um, and we, um, we are always looking for bigs. Um, our wait list is, you know, boys and girls, but we always tend to have a longer wait list for little, um, we tend to get more females that volunteer than males. So we do always have a longer wait list for our little brothers. Isn't that interesting? More females volunteer. I guess you two are examples of the heart that females have. Um, One of the things I looked up about your organization was this study that was done by public-private ventures. Um, It's based in Philadelphia, but they studied the worldwide, or or, no, nationwide, um, big sisters, big brothers, big sisters program. And I just found the results stunning because they had a group of like children, you know, parallel children that were uh, assigned a mentor and then ones that weren't. And they followed them for a year and a half. And they found 46% less likely to begin using illegal drugs with alcohol, 27% less likely, 52% less likely to skip school, 37% less likely to skip a class, 33% less likely to hit someone. And they also found that the littles were more confident, both in their schoolwork and in getting along with their families. And it just seems so remarkable to me that having someone that you meet with a couple of times a month and talk to on the phone once a week would have those kinds of results playing out in your life. Have you found similar things in your experience in the capital region? And if you can just kind of tell us a little about why you think that works so well. I think it absolutely has um, an amazing impact. And it's not just an impact just on the child. I think it has such a ripple effect. Um, You have a child that maybe is having some um, things going on in their life and they get this, this, you know, our program is very focused on the one-to-one mentorship. So this child is really, um, you know, getting that one-to-one time with this person that is, you know, really just being their person and focusing on them and giving them their time. Um, and really, um, you know, changing their direction and, you know, helping them. Um, and, and so you then see these results where the child is improving in school and the, you know, so now the, the um, peers in school and the teachers and the, you know, they're seeing the ripple effect. The family at home is seeing the ripple effect. The, you know, the community is affected by that. Um, you know, and then you're having other children that are, you know, coming into the program and seeing those positive effects as well. But yes, we have um, studies that we, we've done at our own agency, which show, you know, that they um, have, you know, very high percentages of less 
risky behaviors or um, definitely the um, increased, you know, um, uh, I'm sorry, the school where they're improved and improve in their schoolwork and um, improved graduation rates for high school and things like that. So we've definitely had some really good results with those types of surveys. So I think you mentioned early on, or maybe it was Keta that mentioned it, but the idea that you're committed as a volunteer to one year, but that frequently the relationships develop and last for a number of years. And is that... Does that happen often? And do you have any kind of stories about um, how some of those relationships have made a difference? I know you can't name individual people, but just from your experience and and working with this. So, yes, I think many of our matches do choose to stay matched past the one-year commitment. We this year had a match end um, that was together for 10 years. Um, which was amazing. They were our longest match and they both spoke to the fact that they're, you know, they're family now. They really consider each other like, like actual sisters and they're, they're going to be friends forever. So the relationship, you know, while they're no longer officially matched with us, you know, their relationship will go on forever. They know each other's families. They, you know, go to each other's birthdays, all of that stuff. So is there an end point when a child reaches a certain age? Is that why this sister dyad had a... So what's the outside age for a child? Yes, a child can stay matched in the program until they turn 18 or graduate high school, whichever comes first. Okay. That makes sense because then they're in the adult world. So another thing I wanted to talk about is your fundraising because I looked up and I saw that Forbes magazine, you know, rates um, the accountability of not-for-profits. And Big Brothers Big Sisters got the Forbes gold star and in one of its top ten um, for efficiently using and distributing the money that's collected. And if you could just talk a little about your own capital region fundraising, how is that done? And if people are listening and want to contribute, what what should they do? Or maybe that's not part of your job <laughs> because you're uh, doing the work with the actual people. Yes, we, that's not really our, we don't do much with fundraising, but certainly um, we can say that um, to sustain one of our matches costs about $1,200 per year. So it does, um, you know, and you had talked about um, some of those employees behind the scene. Um, we definitely have, you know, a lot of, a lot of things that, um, you know, it takes to get that child enrolled, to get that volunteer enrolled. And then that employee that, um, sustains the match with the match support that we talked about, um, and all of those, um, you know, things put in place, um, the volunteer enrollment, we're doing background checks and all these different things that, you know, um, costs a lot of different things. As for fundraising, I know that we have, there's peer-to-peer fundraisers, um, but that's not our... um, You're bailiwick, no. (laughs) You're doing the hands-on, really important work. But um, it's just good to know if people are listening and they want to contribute, I'm sure you can go online and find out how to do it. But um, 
And also, yes, on our website, I do believe there's a donate button yeah. where they would be able to do that. Also, while we're on practical matters, if someone is listening and wants to sign up, what specifically, what first step do they take? How do they sure. begin that process? There is also on our website, um, there would be a, a section where it says volunteer, uh, become a big, and they would just inquire with their name and um, address and phone number. And one of our um, probably would be myself or Kenta would actually be the, the first person to give them a call. And we kind of just briefly explain, explain the program and our commitment and requirements. And then we would sign them up for an orientation if they felt that they wanted to move to the next step. So, listeners, you've already heard these friendly voices. <laughs> They're familiar. We're rapidly running out of time. I'd just like to ask each of you for a closing thought, something maybe that's important to you we haven't touched on, or just something that you want to leave our listeners with to think about. My closing thought would be, you know, one of those 74 children on our wait list could be the perfect fit for one of our, one of the people listening. And, um, it's just, uh, you know, to see, to see these kids get that, you know, get that big and see the, the changes in their lives is just the most rewarding part of my job. That's excellent. And Kata, do you have the final closing words for us? <laughs> um, I mean, I really just want to repeat what Lisa said. Is these kids, you know, they're waiting for their mentor. And that, yeah, that could be one of your listeners. And, you know, for the future kids that will enroll, that will, you know, they continue to come to us. And they, you know, they need that adult in their life. And truly, when you um, are part of the program, you really do see, you know, I can tell you about it. But when you're part of it, you really do see the impact of it it has on the child and that program has on the volunteer as well. In this time of polarization, we provide a place where you can listen to other voices, hear real people who have ideas that may enlighten and inspire you, that may help you understand something in a new way. To suggest our next guest, email news at altamontenterprise.com or call me at 518-861-4026, extension 102. To support the enterprise, consider a subscription to altamontenterprise.com slash subscribe.